Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with your host, astrologer and author, April Elliott Kent. Hello, invisible friend, April here, and the date today is June 13th, 2022. Welcome to episode 127 of the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. This week, Mercury re-enters Gemini, a magical full moon in Sagittarius, The Sun and Venus both make aspects to Saturn and Neptune, and I answer an interesting listener question about relationship astrology. So let's dive right in. On June 13th at 8.27 a.m. Pacific Time, Mercury enters Gemini. Mercury last entered Gemini on April 29th, And then it made a retrograde on May 10th. I think it was around four or five degrees of Gemini and retrograded back into the last degrees of Taurus and then turned direct on June 3rd. So now it has finished up with those last degrees of Taurus and now it's back in Gemini and it will be there through July 4th. So we really have had quite a lot of time with Mercury in Gemini since April 29th longer than we normally would have Mercury in a sign because of that retrograde. Mercury's really strong in Gemini, and it, generally speaking, would be a favorable time for upgrading your technology, socializing with people, getting in touch, getting in contact. But of course, with it retrograde, it was actually not the best time for any of that. And especially when it got back into Taurus, there are a few really malefic fixed stars at the end of Taurus between about 25 and 29 degrees. And whenever transits get to that area of the zodiac, we can often see difficult news or people having a hard time talking and expressing themselves. So we certainly have had a really difficult news cycle with Mercury in those last degrees of Taurus. I'm hoping now that Mercury is going into Gemini, we can see a lot more constructive conversation about roads forward, about ways to address some of the really difficult, violent developments that we've been seeing, at least here in the United States. So that will be interesting through July 4th as Mercury is in Gemini. And now for the moon report for the week of June 13th. It begins with a Sagittarius full moon on June 14th at 4.52 a.m. Pacific time at 23 degrees and 25 minutes of Sagittarius. This falls on the Sabian symbol 24 Sagittarius, a bluebird standing at the door of the house. And if we've been looking for something more upbeat and more positive in our astrology, it pretty much doesn't get a lot better than this. The bluebird of happiness, it's right at the door. Good news is possible and within reach. There's a buoyancy and an optimism to anything in Sagittarius that's really welcome at this full moon. The sun, of course, is at the opposite point, 23 degrees and 25 minutes of Gemini. On the Sabian symbol, 24 Gemini, children skating on ice, which always brings to mind that expression, skating on thin ice. So the two together are making a square aspect to Neptune. 
which is at 25 degrees and 23 minutes of Pisces. And having a lunation in an aspect to Neptune in this way, to say there's some confusion, perhaps, about whether or not something that looks positive, the bluebird standing at the door, actually is. And the same is probably true of the children skating on thin ice. In other words, our situation may not be as tenuous as it seems. So Pisces is about the illusions that we have about what's going on and the way in which things may or may not be true. When things are square Neptune, however, there's usually this energy of trying to figure it out, of trying to sort out the reality that we face. Now, whenever we have what we call a T-square, so the sun and the moon here are opposed to each other, and each of them is square Neptune, and we call that a T-square configuration. And there is a release point, which would be around 24 to 26 degrees of Virgo, which is the only mutable sign here that's not represented in the configuration. So that's an empty point. If things get too tense or too anxious around the full moon, then the point that we can retreat to, to get ourselves grounded again, would be in Virgo activities. So this is keeping yourself busy, doing craft works, building something, doing your gardening, cleaning things, organizing things are all really good ways to get grounded around this full moon. At any full moon, we begin to see the fruits of something that was planted or conceived at the previous new moon, in this case, the May 30th new moon in Gemini. So whatever you were conceiving of at that time, you begin to see a little shoot start to come up that shows you, oh, yes, what I thought I was planting is really beginning to grow. And then this full moon is also part of a lunar phase family or a lunar gestation cycle, we also call it that began at the Sagittarius new moon on December 14th, 2020, which occurred at 23 degrees and eight minutes of Sagittarius, which is, of course, very close to this full moon point. So we might also revisit late 2020. Think about how we were feeling. We were still relatively newly into this pandemic reality. And think about how that might have impacted the kinds of ideas or intentions that you were formulating at that Sagittarius new moon. Because normally with Sagittarius, the sky is the limit and we're very inspired and we're thinking big thoughts going into the new year. That might have been a little less so at the end of 2020, but whatever it is that we were thinking about, conceiving, formulating at that time, is now beginning to show itself. As a consequence of what you initiated then, you are where you are now, and now you can make decisions moving forward for the next 18 months or so about how you would like things to continue to unfold. Let's look at the void of course moon periods for this week. The first one's on June 14th, when the moon in Sagittarius makes a square aspect to Neptune at 7.58 a.m. Pacific time. 
And it goes void, of course, and it's void, of course, a good long time, about seven and one quarter hours until it enters Capricorn at 3.14 p.m. Pacific time. So this is kind of a void, of course, day, mostly, if we think of it as a work day, a time of productivity. So when we have this kind of void, of course, moon, Ending on the square to Neptune, which is what is really going on? That's the question. Looking at our illusions and our assumptions about things and questioning them. And we sit with that for about seven hours. It's not necessarily the best day for getting things done on a realistic or productive level, but it's a really good time for thinking, considering, and questioning what is real and what isn't. Then once the moon goes into Capricorn, we can start getting down to business and getting back to work. On June 16th, the moon in Capricorn ends on a conjunction with Pluto at 11.41 a.m. It's then void, of course, for about three hours before it enters Aquarius at 2.44 p.m. Pacific time. Might be a great time to take a really long lunch (laughs) around the middle of that day. The moon conjunct Pluto says, hey, take a power lunch with somebody. It is Pluto. And really, somebody that you look up to, that you consider influential. See if you can get together with them and canvas their thoughts about things that are important to you, especially related to your career, because it's the moon in Capricorn. Then the moon enters Aquarius at 244. That's a lot more social moon about getting out and especially now with the sun in Gemini, and we just kind of feel anyway as though we want to get out and be a little bit more sociable. And finally, on June 18th, the moon in Aquarius makes a trine to that sun in Gemini at 11.50 a.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for about four hours before entering Pisces at 4.01 p.m. Pacific time. So that is a whole afternoon that's colored by this wonderful sense of well-being. It's a time of social comfort, and it's a good time for getting together with friends. I think this is on a Saturday, so that is a wonderful afternoon to plot some kind of really great social activity with friends, possibly some people that you haven't seen for a while. On June 16th, the sun makes two different aspects. One is a trine to Saturn at 12.13 a.m. Pacific time at 25 degrees and 8 minutes of Gemini and Aquarius. The sun in aspect to Saturn is a little bit of a tricky proposition because the sun is about just shining and enjoying being who we are in our natal state. But Saturn wants us to improve ourselves and to keep growing and to temper our excesses. But the sun trine Saturn is a really lovely aspect because Saturn here is tempering the sun without destroying its confidence, its fun, and its creativity. So especially if you're working on something that requires you to share yourself to be creative, even just to stand up in front of the world and say, this is me, this is what I think, this is how I feel. 
this actually is a really supportive day for that with the sun trine Saturn. Now, Saturn is on the Sabian symbol, 28 degrees Aquarius, a hydrometer. So we might be tempted to stand back and test the weather a little bit before we share ourselves fully (laughs) and our intentions. There's nothing wrong with being a little bit reserved in that way. But if you're working on something creative in nature, this is a day when you have a lot of staying power and a lot of persistence to make this a reality. Now, on the same day, the sun is making a square aspect to Neptune. That happens later in the morning at 6.41 a.m. Pacific time. This is about going our own way so we can know ourselves better. The sun in Gemini is very curious. It wants to have new experiences, new input, new information, talk to new people. But the Neptune part says that we can get off base pretty easily and have a hard time finding our way home. So this is the opening square in a conjunction between the sun and Neptune that happened in March. So if you were filled with a kind of inspiration that says, I need to go on a new path, I need a new journey, I need inspiration, but I don't exactly know what that's going to look like. What's nice about the opening square from the sun to Neptune is it says, ah, maybe I can't see the path exactly, but I'm now ready to take some kind of action towards the thing that I was ruminating about back in the spring. So the sun's trying to Saturn on this day says, go ahead and work on the thing that really will help you express yourself best. And the sun square Neptune says, okay, now I have the moment and encouragement from Saturn (laughs) to work on what it is that I want to do. I'm still a little unclear about the shape that it's going to take, but by gum, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do something. On June 18th, Venus makes aspects to Saturn and Neptune. It's kind of echoing what the sun did a couple of days earlier. But in this case, Venus is square Saturn at 2.32 p.m. And it is sextile Neptune at 9.06 p.m. Venus and Saturn made a conjunction on March 28th. And this is the opening square. When Venus came together with Saturn, there was a time of reevaluating what we value enough to work for it. And Venus in Taurus uh, doesn't necessarily love to work real hard. It's used to just being able to magnetize what it wants to it. But now as Venus is making a square to Saturn, there is this realization that in order to have the thing that's really valuable to us, We are going to have to work for it. And this is the time in this planetary cycle that we need to take that little leap of faith and initiate some action. This can be about the way we earn our money, for instance, Venus. And we might decide that, well, you know, I'm pretty happy with what I've got. But in order to reach a particular goal that I have, I'm going to have to apply some effort. It can be relationship-oriented. I really love this person. I really value this relationship. 
but we've gotten to the point where it's not just easy anymore and I'm going to have to make an effort. Do I still value this relationship enough to make the effort? Relationships can really sort of hit a stumbling point when they encounter Saturn because Saturn represents what we do that isn't immediately gratifying to us, but that we do it because we know it's the healthy, right, and supportive thing for the future. On that same day, Venus makes a sextile aspect to Neptune at 9.06 p.m. This is the first major aspect between these two since they made a conjunction on April 27th. This cycle is about what is real when it comes to how I value myself, how I value others, and how I feel about my relationship with the physical world. So in terms of your physical body, how much money you have, how you earn your money. These are all things that are subject to inquiry when Venus is making an aspect to Neptune. It's an invitation to wake up a little bit from a a kind of a dream. And I think the square to Saturn really helps with that on the same day because Saturn is nothing if not realistic. So Venus is getting a wake-up call from Saturn And that's not a bad thing. You know, the sextile aspect always says you have to do some work to get a good outcome. So doing the work of Venus with Neptune at this time on this day is going to bring a feeling that the things that bring you pleasure are also the things that are spiritually meaningful and that you're on a good path. Hey there, invisible friend. It's April here. I sure hope you're enjoying the podcast. I love bringing it to you each week, all of the breaking news of the sky happenings we all share. But how about the way it's all playing out in your own birth chart? Sometimes you just want to talk with someone about it, right? Well, make that someone me. Whether you're having some really big things happening in your life right now, or you just want to get to know yourself a little better, you can book a 60 or 90 minute reading with me wherever you are in the world via the miracle of Zoom. I can even record it for you so you have an indelible record of our wonderful time together. Just follow the link to personal readings at my website, bigskyastrology.com. That's bigskyastrology.com. I look forward to speaking with you soon. Bye for now. this week's listener question. John and Suzanne write with a question about how a couple's charts can support each other through transition and transformation. They write, we are celebrating 20 loving years together this summer. Congratulations, the two of you. We both are big fans of your podcast and we're hopeful for your guidance. Suzanne says, I love my work as a dedicated campaigner for working people. But as a workaholic, I'm trying to find the sweet spot of giving myself to a fulfilling and impactful career without giving all of my energy and life away to work. Amen, Suzanne. She says, John is making a major transition, turning the page on 20 years in social services while exploring bringing his craftsmanship and creativity to the world for work. 
outstanding. How can we work with our charts to support each other in finding new and renewed connection to career with a better work-life balance as we build the future we dream of together? Well, first of all, it is so wonderful, the love and support that you have for each other, Suzanne and John. And it's great that you're both hard workers with a strong social conscience. So you can really understand each other on that level. Key one to supporting your partner, I think, is first understanding who they are and what they need. In particular, in this case, of course, their career path as well. So this means looking closely at the 10th house, the midheaven, Saturn, and the 6th house in the other person's chart, but also the sun, the moon, and ascendant. But really, understanding each person's birth chart is the beginning. And then we see how each person supports the other chart with their own. This process is called synastry. It's looking at one person's planets in aspect to the other person's birth chart, how your planets connect with their planets and houses. Now, I'm just going to offer a couple of examples here because this is really complicated work and it really requires an in-depth reading. But you did send me your birth data and I looked at both of your charts and I thought I would give listeners an example of a couple of ways this might work. So, for example, John has a Capricorn midheaven and this suggests that he has executive ability. And he's also born at a last quarter moon. So he actually is pretty ambitious. But at the end of the day, we look at his Saturn because Saturn rules Capricorn. And we see that it's in Virgo. So what John actually loves to do is do the work. I think he's probably a lot less interested in supervising other people (laughs) to do the work. He likes to actually do it. And it's also really important to him to feel that he's helping or inspiring people on a spiritual level. He's got the moon in Pisces in the 12th house, and it's in a T-square with the sun opposed Neptune. All three of these are really strong spiritual healing signatures. But creativity, communication, and variety are also really important to him because he's got the sun in Gemini in the third house, And it's the ruler of the fifth house, the house of creativity. So I love hearing that that is becoming a bigger part of his career focus at this time. Now, looking at his chart, I'm seeing Venus in the second house, which should be nice for earning money, but it is making a squared Saturn. So making a good living doing what he really loves can be a struggle, especially earlier in his life and career. Anything with Saturn tends to get a little easier as we get older. But for now, it's probably a bit of a struggle. So what I would do at this point in a synastry reading is to look for something in Suzanne's chart that can help him with that, that can support him. And she has got Venus in a conjunction with Saturn, so she knows a little bit about financial struggle. But I think she's probably pretty comfortable at putting herself out there. Venus is right on the ascendant. She also has a really gregarious Aquarius, ooh, gregarious Aquarius moon in the seventh house of partnership. 
so she can help John by increasing his social contacts and helping him promote his creative work to the world. This could be really hard for creative people. And the fact that her Venus is right on the ascendant, she leads with Venus and with a strong sense of self-esteem, and she can really help him in that regard. Now, for Suzanne, our self-professed workaholic, my poor friend with Mars right on the mid-heaven, I know about that one, and it's opposed Pluto. She also has Saturn really close to the ascendant. So we have to begin by understanding how essential it is for Suzanne to constantly challenge herself and the grounding nature of work for her. So when we talk about work-life balance for Suzanne, we have to understand that she's not wired to take it easy. In order to get balance, she needs occupations that are just as compelling and challenging and as intense as work is to help keep her occupied. Maybe she would have an interest in building things or refinishing furniture or redoing houses. I'm just looking at Pluto in her fourth house, researching genealogy, developing metaphysical interests. Clearly, Suzanne, you're interested in astrology, so see where that takes you. So how can John help? Well, he has got Venus in Gemini, which is lighthearted, and he has Jupiter in Leo in the fifth house, which is fun-loving. It just really has a talent for fun. This Jupiter makes some beautiful aspects with Suzanne's Mars and Jupiter in Aries in the 10th house, as well as her Neptune in Sagittarius in the fifth house. What's lovely is the two of you are good at having fun together. Now, John might be a little less apt to instigate recreational activities or hobbies, things you might do together. But if you do, Suzanne, because you're the one with the Mars on the midheaven, you're the one with the cardinal cancer Venus rising, he will be very supportive of whatever it is that you come up with. Now, in a full reading, we would talk about how each person's moon can be used to nurture the partner, how Saturn can help us keep each other accountable and on track and keep growing, how we would use Mars to help motivate each other, and so on. In Sinistry, each planet tells us some beautiful gift that one person can bring to the other. Now, there are a couple of other techniques that astrologers often use in relationship analysis. One is called the composite chart, and this technique takes the midpoints of each planet in both charts as well as the midheaven, finds that midpoint. Then it derives the ascendant and the house cusps based on that midheaven and the location where you're living together. And basically, you come up with a third chart that describes the chemistry of the two of you together. I actually really love the composite system. I find it very effective in describing partnerships. You can also progress this chart. You can use transits with it to identify times of particular importance in the relationship. I think Stephen Forrest actually has a book that he wrote with Jody Forrest, Skymates, and they do touch on composite charts in that. That's a really good book on composite charts. 
There's also a technique called Davison charts. And Davison charts also create a third chart. It's really interesting how it gets there. What it does is take the midpoints, not of the planets in the two charts, but rather the midpoints of your birth dates, your birth times, and your birth coordinates. And it creates a third chart. So to give you an example of how this would work, if one person were born on, say, January 1st, 1960, and the other person was born on January 3rd, 1960, then the combined birthday would be January 2nd, 1960. That's just a really simple example. And if one person was born at 2 a.m. and the other person was born at 4 a.m., then the birth time would be 3 a.m. And then they do the same thing with the coordinates. So it's an interesting technique. And it creates a third chart that actually has a birth date, which is fun. Now, I understand the appeal of this chart, but for me, it's always a little bit weird in that the birthday that it creates for the couple actually is a date before one of them is born. <laughs> it just, I've never been able to really get past that. But I do have a good article I can point you to in the show notes by Dorothy Oja. She works a lot with the Davison chart, and it's an excellent article. So I will create a link to that. Whew. Okay. Well, I hope that was helpful, Suzanne and John. I really appreciated hearing from you. And thank you so much for your nice words about the podcast. And I'm wishing you so much happiness in your careers and bringing that work life balance a little more where you want it to be. If you happen to have a burning question about astrology that you would like me to answer, leave a voicemail of one minute or less at speakpipe.com forward slash Big Sky Astrology Podcast, or just send an email to me, april at bigskyastrology.com, and be sure to put podcast question in the subject line. Well, that is everything on my show sheet, so I'm going to wrap this one up. Thanks for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to subscribe or follow the show in your app of choice. Ratings and reviews are always welcome, and I'd especially love it if you help spread the word by telling an astrology-loving friend about the show. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at BigSkyAstropod.com. Thanks very much to everyone who's shown financial support for the show throughout the year. Each week, I'm thanking some of you by name. This week, let's give a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to Sheila Lim, Karen Hartland, and Vem DeNorme. <laughs> Sheila, Karen, and Vim, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting the show with your donations. If you would like to make a financial donation to the show, it would be so much appreciated. Please go to BigSkyAstropod.com. That's it for this episode. Join me again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, visit her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thoughtful essays, 
find out more about her books and classes or book a personal astrology reading. That's all for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow or subscribe to stay current with new episodes. And please leave a rating or review. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook or Twitter and Big Sky Astrology April on Instagram. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you'll join us next time. Thank you.